This is OTB Sports Radio. United fans will always love Damien Delaney for his goal at the start of the Palace comeback in the three-all draw with Liverpool. That is from Martin. Yeah, I love United fans as well. You know, I've got nothing personally against that. It's just business. It's just business. It's, it's just an bu- opinion. It's just business. It's just business. You're just saying that, you know, you don't think United will win. the agenda. Call it what it is. That's what <laughs> it is. I like Man United. I want to see them dominate again. I want to see them back on top. Off the ball. Saturdays from 1 on OTB Sports Radio. Listen live on the OTB Sports app. The OTB Podcast Network. You ain't shit. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. My fans can be the harshest critics, you know. Uh, They often are. A wife is often the harshest critic (laughs) of her husband. (laughs) I thought I was invincible. That's what you're you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing (laughs) football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof it the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have, and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life because everything else is pretty crappy. And this is not like Stephen Rochard has never spoken to Jim McGill in his life. Well, you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five o'clock. We're streaming the conversation as well now. So, as well as listening on News Talk, you can watch us on the Off the Ball social channels for Periscope and Twitter at Off the Ball, on YouTube, on Facebook, and on the new OTB Sports app available for iOS and Android. This is the Saturday panel, the subject racism in sport. The panel in conjunction with Galway 2020, European Capital of Culture, and the FAI to mark International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. So to talk about this important subject, we're delighted to be joined by the Republic of Ireland and West Ham goalkeeper, Darren Randolph, the former All-Ireland Gaelic football winner with Dublin, Jason Sherlock, and the Intercultural National Strategy Coordinator with the FAI, Des Tomlinson. Darren, Jason, Des, good afternoon. Afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks, John. Thank you very much. How are you? Yeah, good, good lads. Um, I'm looking forward to an interesting uh, discussion today and an educational discussion. Discrimination, abuse of a human being because of their skin colour, like we've seen with the George Floyd murder, the necessity of the Black Lives Matter movement, the Ian Wright case in the last year, that society, humanity has still a way to go when it comes to addressing the issue of racism. So we'd like to examine this subject in the context of sport in our conversation with you today. Before we get to Darren and Jason and their experiences, Des, I'll start with you. Talk to us about your work at the FAI and what the key goals that are paramount for you at the moment. Well, thanks, John. So um, I've been working with the FAI since 2006, that's when I came to Ireland. Um, and uh, the reason I came really was a job in relation to trying to look at the the changing cultural landscape uh, or demographic landscape of Ireland in uh, 2006 would have been a point where uh, probably a peak inward migration in Ireland and lots of people from diverse backgrounds uh, making Ireland their home. So it's about how can you use uh, football uh, to try and engage people. So the, the strategy really has two main objectives. One is to try and increase or promote increased participation. And then the, the, the second area of work, which isn't secondary and it's part of what we're talking about today, is to challenge racism and discrimination. So that's that's a, a major part of, of the work. Darren and Jason, let's start at the beginning and Des will bring you in this as well. Forgive me for my understanding of this because I don't understand, I'm white. I will never understand uh, the experience of racism. Um, but all I can do is ask the questions here and hopefully get uh, some understanding. Your own experiences of racism on and off the pitch, Darren, your dad, Ed, he came from America he, to, to be a basketball star in Ireland. Um, how prevalent was racism growing up for you, Darren, in, in Bray and County Wicklow? Uh, looking back now, um, 
pretty much an everyday everyday occurrence. Um, probably at the time when you're a kid growing up, you don't take it as serious or you don't kind of realize what what's going on. Um, but gradually then, you know, the older you get, the more you do start to learn and then you start to understand what different terms uh, mean um, and, you know, the intent behind them. And again, the way kind of people would phrase um, sentences or statements. Um, I mean, you know, for example, a simple, uh, simple example, probably being in school, uh, having a little kind of uh, afro, um, little thing. People always want to touch my hair. You know, they have like little. People get like a the straws with the tissue and the paper, spitting them so they get stuck in my hair. Putting pencils in my hair. Like I said, usual one to touch my hair. Um, again, other little little comments. Um, and I used to always wonder, um, you know, why there was no other mixed race or, or black people in, in my class. Why would I never see any, um, any other kind of ethnic backgrounds in any other sports that I would play or even around Bray itself? Um, so yeah, growing up, it was a, it was a weird one. What was your emotions that it elicited from you? How did you feel when you got these um, approaches? The main, well, yeah, yeah. Well, when I was younger, main was the main thing was mostly anger. Although I never got in that many that many fights, it was always anger. And then once the anger would would pass, I'd spend a lot of time, um, you know, thinking about what was said in different situations and. And like, I ask myself why, basically, um, you know, why can't I just be left alone to to do what I want to do and and play um, football, basketball, Gaelic hurling, uh, played a little bit of rugby. Um, but yeah, they were the they were the main feelings. Was it discussed much at the dinner table, Darren, at home? Nah, nah, I would I would never. Uh, I would never bring it up. I mean, I'm sure my my dad, more so than my mum, would be at many football matches and Gaelic matches where he would hear stuff on the sideline. Um, and this would be coming from parents. This isn't even coming from kids my own age or kids that would be that would be watching or you know the next age group that would be playing the game at half eleven. You know, once once our game was finished. Um, you know, you'd have, especially when I was in goal, uh, when I was younger, you would have groups of groups of kids that would be, you know, sat beside the, uh, right beside the goal. You know, they could, when I was growing up, you could do that. People would just go and sit there like by the goal. Um, and it would be constant, but I'm sure there's times, um, well, no, I know there's times my dad's heard, um, certain comments while he was watching me. Um, play football and Gaelic uh, growing up. So name calling mainly, was it? Yeah, yeah, name calling. Uh, again, I'm not going to yeah, use names, but yeah. it would be, you know, get that black so-and-so or hurt whatever 
Um, again, there'll be certain noises that that will be made. Um, and sad to say, it became it became normal, really. And did you block it out of your mind, Darren? Um, did you confront yeah, it? Did it, you became, take people it, it? It became normal. It was just something that uh, that I just put up with. It was not, you know, there wasn't any kind of other managers or parents or anything else that would kind of step in and say anything to um, to cut it all out. Uh, the only, if it was football, obviously if I was in goal, there's nothing I could do there apart from win. And then when we would win, obviously I'd be very boastful about it. That's my way of getting getting people back. Um, and also I knew I was quite good. So I always had that to fall back on. And in terms of Gaelic, I was I was one of the bigger bigger kids from my age. So again, obviously as Jason's well aware in Gaelic, you're able to to get your own back on on people and challenges and um and I definitely took took advantage uh in that sense as well. Jason, did you have a similar experience growing up in Dublin? Um, yeah, I did. I did. Um, I, I'd be a, a, a bit, a bit more older than 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 Darren. I remember I would have been a hero of his dad's. I used to go watch him play basketball. Um, but I suppose growing up in Finglas, looking the way I look, uh, a father who was Asian. Um, my, my mother brought me up. Um, as a single parent. Um, yeah, things were things were challenging, and again, it, it ranged from kind of curious and slagging to kind of cynical and and intent in terms of uh, some of the comments or the slagging that you'd receive. So a, a bit like Darren, I, I think that the challenge I had and potentially what Jar Darren had was what was right and wrong. And I think in those days, there was no right or wrong. Um, I, I didn't turn around to, and I wasn't able to say to people, you're wrong to say that. I didn't really have people stepping in to kind of highlight that people were wrong it was it was just slagging and um that was the challenge for me and obviously i'd like to think we're in a different place now in terms of the feeling that it would have had on me and again we're here i suppose to ensure that the next Aaron randolph or the next uh, dublin player doesn't have to kind of suffer the the, the, the situations and the challenges that we had it, it had a significant impact because it, it's very hard to be highlighted and singled out for something you can't do anything about um, and for me that made me it made me very angry um, very frustrated and again I was always known as a fiery player on the pitch because a lot of people just saw my response to slag and they didn't actually hear or see what might have gone on beforehand um, but away from the sporting field and I didn't mind the sporting field because you feel you can compete there but when you go back home and you're trying to question why you're being treated differently it has big impacts on your, your self-esteem and your confidence and again, you're so frustrated because you just want to fit in. You just want to be like everyone else. Um, so that was the challenges that I had growing up. Um, and I suppose then moving into, like when I, when I got a bit older, um, I, I still, on the sporting field, I would have still experienced um, racism in GA um, players. Um, obviously in Crow Park, I mightn't have heard some of the slagging that I would have got, but um in League of Ireland, I played League of Ireland as well, and again, I would have I would have been prime for for kind of racial abuse in that environment as well. So, again, it's it's great, it's great, it's not great 
sharing these stories and going back to those times, but it's great that we're actually talking about them and we're trying to make a difference and and try to come up with solutions. Does it alter your view, Jason, of how you see human beings and does it make you a bit more cynical about people? Um, Yeah, I I suppose it did at the time, but like with experience and reflection, um, you kind of, you have a different take on it. And I think the, the one thing that, sport has a great opportunity and this whole time has given us all time to reflect and, and sport is no different. Um, I suppose, what do we stand for in terms of why we play sport, why we support a team, why we're associated with a club, why we run an organization or an association. And I, I think the first part and the biggest part and for me, it, what sport gave me was acceptance. You know, I craved acceptance, but I liked being part of a team. I liked being able to enjoy winning and losing. I liked being able to improve as a player in any sport I played. And and that was a fundamental piece of sport for me. Um, And again, human nature, you will always have cynical people. But I think if we do things with the with the right reasons or looking for the right output in mind i think uh, we might go a long way to do that and i think this this time obviously this pandemic has given us time to understand well why is sport so important to us and what should sport look like moving forward i'm getting the sense darren from listening to you about you know being on the pitch when you're younger that it's almost like an environment where this kind of stuff is accepted oh, that's oh, that's grand it's just part of the sporting environment and a passionate, intense environment. Was that the way maybe people thought about the way they were acting because they wouldn't act that, or was it the case that they acted like that all the time? Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say they, well, again, I don't know. I only saw you know, most of it on the, on, the, on, the, on the pitches. I don't know what they were like away from the pitch. Again, I don't know if people used to do it um, to try and gain an advantage, you know, to try and get in my head and um, throw me off. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. But um, as I said, after a while, it just became normal and it was something that I, in a way, you know, you asked, obviously, Jason, how he felt towards people in general. And yeah. uh, apart from my own teammates, um I would go onto the pitch quite angry, especially more so in 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 GAA than football. In football, if I was in goal, I can't run and tackle anybody, so I can't really get near anyone. But especially in GAA, um, it give me that, it, yeah, it make me more aggressive and maybe give me that extra extra edge that I probably needed to do better and and, and stand out more um, because I I saw myself I was I was different to everybody else. There was no. There's nobody else my 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 color every every team we seemed to play against was was white um and it wasn't then until probably 14 15 ish i probably met um one other mixed race boy in in bray who actually joined uh my boyhood my boyhood club um uh also in um in, in saying that as well, my godfather, um Jerome Westbrooks, Jason might might have heard of him, lives in the uh, north side of Dublin. Again, he had um mixed race kids as well. And we would go to the basketball games to watch obviously dads play. 
uh, and there'd be conversations that, that we would have. And again, it would just be something that's we would talk about as if it's normal. It's funny that I hear this stuff, Darren, and I think about most revered sports person in Ireland might be Paul McGrath. Yeah, well, I, I, again, yeah, yeah, you think about that. Um, and I can use it now in, you know, what happens these days. One game, a certain player is, you know, world class and everything else. And as soon as they have a bad game, the abuse starts, whether it's aimed at them or their family, or if it's racial abuse, whatever. It's just it's just how fickle some some fans can be, and how, how fickle some people can be. And what was your experience, Darren, as he moved to England and began to make it in the in the Premier League and in the English game? Uh, well, moved to South East London when I was uh, just well, I was fifteen, just turning sixteen. Um, I was blown away because I'd never seen so many you know, different races in one place. Um, went into, into football, into the academy. Uh, my age group, there was nine, nine players out of the 11 that were black, all different, different backgrounds, where, you know, whether it be Jamaican, African. Um, so I got to see and learn a lot about different, different cultures. Uh, but again, I would hear story. I would hear their stories of them being on buses and getting chased off buses or getting chased through certain areas by, uh, well, you know, stereotypical, um, bald, white racist. And I realised, oh, okay, I, you know, that's what I suffered when I was growing up. I didn't. I'd get chased, yeah, but, but not to the extent, or I didn't have any of the kind of stories that some of the boys from, from London had. But in a weird way, it, it kind of made me feel more comfortable, more ac accepted, and I had other people that could share in my experience. Um, unknowingly to me, I kind of gravitated towards, you know, the, the black people in the changing room you feel like you had something, something in common. Don't get me wrong. The change room wasn't segregated as like, you know, black people on one side, white people on the other side. But I mean, off the pitch, you know, if we're in the canteen or in the changing room and outside of football, Oh, that's just where I, I, I found myself. Um, you know, especially at the beginning when there was more mixed race uh, people around more black people around. Des, uh, you grew up in London and you've moved to Ireland and I'm hearing from Darren and from Jason that sometimes most people are good. I would, I would say that most people are good and there are so many great people out there. But unfortunately, there is an element in society. We think it's not on our doorstep, but then when we hear these stories, you realize this behavior and this loose behavior and this uh, disgraceful, disgusting behavior is on our doorstep. What's your experience being both in London and from moving to Ireland and what you've observed? Yeah, so, yeah, brought up in London, parents came from uh, the Caribbean, small island uh, called Jamaica uh, in the 60s. Um, I was born in the mid-60s. So um, if you go through the 70s and through the 80s, and Darren spoke there about, um, you know, 
people being chased. And, and that's something that, that was there in terms of far right groups. So organized groups that organize on the basis that they wanted to, they hated certain people and they would go out and carry out certain actions. But that's something that, you know, I would have been familiar with. I have a very clear memory of um, having to come in on a Friday night by a certain time because there would be a, a National Front march or something like this going on. And, and then we'd have seen the, the National Front and other groups trying to infiltrate football, trying to kind of, you know, send their message through through the game of football. So, so definitely it's something that's there. And I think one of the biggest things for Ireland and coming to Ireland, one of the biggest things that you didn't see was that. You didn't see organised groups on that basis. Um, but one of the things we have to safeguard against uh, in Ireland is that that does happen. People become more organised in the way they um, think about difference and, and, and have certain ideologies um, that they hold. So, yeah, certainly the experience that I would have had um, growing up in, in London. I, I haven't played professional football. I've played semi-professional football. And, you know, playing in London not really that many experiences, but going outside London, I remember experiences people making comments. Um, so yeah, and that's me just playing at a low level of football. Education, I think, is key, Jason, isn't it? It begins with the parents, doesn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, I think um, it's, a, it's a big part of it and a lot of racism I would have experienced growing up was, I, I would use the word ignorance, that there was a lack of education, but that's not an excuse anymore, you know, the, the world we live in, we, we do have, we, we, we should all be at a level and an understanding of, of what right, what's right and what's wrong. Um, I think a, a big a big part, and again, thinking of what the solution is, like, and I suppose we all have to play a part in it. But I think the first thing is empowering empowering people, both people that could be potentially at the uh, suffer from racism, but also people that potentially could give racism and, and and be racist is to empower them to understand what's right or wrong and and again that comes to education and yeah it, it certainly starts in the home but then from a sporting context obviously sporting clubs sporting organizations have have a, a big responsibility and a big role in that as well um I think I look even when I mentioned when I played like and I suppose I suffered a bit of racism on the pitch and one thing um, when when I grew up I, I played a lot of sports and I loved sport and for, for soccer um, in, in Ireland my club actually was Bohemians um, even though I played for Shamrock Rovers um, at one stage because my, my my family used to live in Fibsborough. My uncle Brian used to bring me to all the games. I used to love Daly Mount Park, watching that old team with Jackie Jemison, Rocky O'Brien, some some great players. And then when I was a bit older, we we could break in at the back of the, uh, the at Des Kelly's there. We could bunk into games. Um, so and I, I I was in an under twenty one squad. Uh, we played against England as well in Daly Mount, and it was great because my school was close by. But then I, I played a match for for UCD at the time. It was just after we won an All Ireland um, with Dublin, um, and I suppose the I'm sure there was a lot of Dublin supporters that were were both supporters as well. But I suppose one of the most um, resonating memories I have of playing was hearing a racist chant bellowing out of the, the main stand in Dalymount. Um, now when you're 19, 20 years of age, um, 
in those in those days it was hard enough as a small centre forward to look after yourself physically. But when you're hearing this coming coming from the stand, that's that's a, a tough image to to kind of to take on board and and to have to deal with. Um, now I, I fast forward. That's whatever it was, twenty five years ago. I look at the great work Bows are doing now, inviting um, people from direct provision coming in to to watch games. I look at the the announcement with DCU about the values embedding in the local community. I look at the atmosphere in in at some of the games now. There's a really positive vibe there, and 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 Bows are are starting to stand for something really positive in the community, and I commend that. And and that's that's the way we should be going that's that's what we want our, our clubs to epitomize that we accept and we welcome and we build each club and, and have that uniqueness about it and um, but again it just shows you i suppose the journey that that i experienced to where where we are and, and where we hope that we can continue to go darren do you think uh, society is on a better journey from when you were young and you're getting that type of abuse uh, on the gaelic pitch or on the on the soccer pitch do you think if uh a young guy in, in, in Bray now who's, who's black uh, would experience the same thing? Or are you hopeful that it would not be as bad as that? I'd love to tell you it doesn't happen and everything changed. But I get messages from young kids on Instagram from different areas of Dublin and around Ireland in, in general. Yeah, it's, you know, that uh, when I do get to go back home now, I do see a lot more different races with a Dublin or an Irish accent. And I love to see that. But unfortunately, I don't think, um, you know, much has, much has really changed. Um, again, like, um, like Des said, about the the national front, the DNF groups that would actively go out and and search for um, you know c- certain groups. Um, I suppose when I was when I was growing up, it was it was more hidden. Um, yeah, and you didn't have those groups, but you'd have little sly remarks, um, or if people were driving by in a car, there'd be something shouted out the window. Um, or they just slow down and just drive beside, uh, drive beside me and my friends, and just be a few seconds of abuse, and then off they go. Um, but listen, the good thing is it's being spoke about, and people are being made more aware. Um, and like Jason said, I would put it down to to uh, ignorance. But again, you can't use that as as an excuse. I try when I can again because I, I, I still do come across um, a lot of people from um, again the older generation that will still use the word "coloured." So then to explain to them that that's not the right term and that's obviously a lot more offensive. And some people generally say to me, "Listen, I would I feel it makes the person feel more uncomfortable calling somebody black. They would prefer to say coloured when in truth." that's more offensive than actually, you know, saying, oh, that, that black person over there. What do we need to do, Des? There's a couple of things, more than a couple. I think if you listen to Darren and you listen to Jason and 
you, you listen to their experiences um, in sport, uh, I think that tells us that you know people have been continue to be targeted just because something about them. So I think part of it is about education, without a doubt, and that's true. Um, sometimes you know you can educate some people and they'll have a, a, a mind shift or they recognise maybe something was said inappropriately or it was wrong. Um, and other people you can't. That's, that's just a fact. That, that that's just a fact. So then you need to have other mechanisms to deal with that. And that's about what you have in place, um, you know, how that's dealt with on the pitch when it's heard and seen by referees, how that's dealt with by football bodies when it comes to looking at disciplinary sanctions for cases that are taken, tested and proven. And, and it's about people like um, Jason and Darren doing what they're doing now, um, sharing their experience and being very brave in doing that and saying, look, this happened um, and it was impactful. And, I think sometimes when you think about racism, when people think about racism, they just think, well, it's just comments. Uh, it's just a few comments and you know, just get on with it or you know, don't worry about it. But it's not. It's not just comments. It's more than that. And I think um, if people can understand that, get a really a, a real firm sense of that, that it isn't just, it isn't just uh, words. Um, and outside of that, when you think about it in society, um, it's actually, we have, we have laws in Ireland. We have equality legislation that protects people um, against behaviours like this. Um, we have the Irish Human Rights and Equality Act, which protects people's human rights. So we're not just talking about some words, some suggestions, some gestures. We're talking about things that impact on people and things that, that shouldn't happen because they're wrong, that they're wrong in terms of, of sport, they're morally wrong, but they're also wrong in terms of the law. Okay, we need to take a break. We'll be back with more of the Saturday panel on racism and sports with Darren Randolph, Jason Sherlock and Des Tomlinson after this. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball. Well, you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five o'clock. We're streaming live now as well as listening on News Talk. You can watch us on the social channels for Off the Ball, for Periscope and Twitter at Off the Ball, on YouTube, on Facebook. You can also listen or watch on the OTB Sports app available for iOS and Android. The subject of this week's Saturday panel, racism in sports. The panel in conjunction with Galway 2020, European Capital of Culture and the FAI to mark International Day for the elimination of racial discrimination. So to talk about this important subject, we're delighted to be joined by the Republic of Ireland goalkeeper, the West Ham goalkeeper, Darren Randolph, the former All-Ireland Gaelic footballer uh, winning player from Dublin, Jason Sherlock, and the Intercultural National Strategy Coordinator with the FAI, Des Tomlinson. Darren, are you active on social media? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on there, yeah. Have you got racial abuse on um, social media? Uh, yeah, <laughs> all kinds of abuse, but yeah, there's racial abuse um, on there. Um, at, at first, uh, you just read it, block, delete. But and after a while, I just thought, it was one of the evenings I was sat in the house. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember if I played a game or there was a, something that happened, there was a video or something. And like, I was getting messages coming through and I just decided I was just gonna start screenshotting the messages and putting them on my, putting them on my story for everybody to see so that the person's name, if, if, if they're brave enough to put their face on these Instagram accounts, that will obviously show up on my story. Um, and again, just tag uh, Facebook, Instagram. Now, 
I'm not sure if any of the accounts were were blocked, but the messages I started to receive then stopped. I got a lot of messages from people's people that I'd screenshotted and posted, apologizing and saying, "Oh, listen, there's only it's only a bit of fun. I just wanted to get a, like get reaction, get a bite out of you." Um, then you know, then it goes back to oh, I think you know you're a great keeper, blah blah blah, and they start trying to go back to to some positive things you've obviously done in done in sports um and then and even now if i see um some other players that that post any uh post any abuse that they get i do the same thing i screenshot their messages and i post on my story because the only way it's going to get dealt with and remain relevant in people's mind is if it's in people's faces all the time um you know so that i feel now at the minute that's kind of how i'm choosing to deal with it because i'm i'm kind of sick and tired of of hearing about on sky sports news about players being racially abused and 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 and, and nothing happening um as i said it's only recently that there's accounts um being suspended and people being arrested social media companies need to do more obviously don't they they do. Uh, I understand, though, with Facebook and whatever, Twitter, their freedom of speech kind of platform where people can go and have a voice. Uh, one thing I always do try and remember is sometimes the people with who are who, who are given the abuse could be somebody with a handful of friends and not much going on in their life and they're just bored and they decide to send out messages but that doesn't make it okay that because the impact that could have on 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 a person um again I, I was quite lucky growing up with the family that i had um and probably in myself i was quite a confident person anyway so it didn't well yes it affected me and i would i would think about it but i it would never get me down and everything oh i'm not leaving the house or Oh, I got chased walking past this estate last week, so I'm not walking by there again. I was just, I would just carry on as normal. But again, not everybody, not everybody is built like that, and they shouldn't have to, shouldn't have to take it. I don't think most people would say what they say online to someone's face in the street. Um, but once they're behind a, a keyboard, an iPhone, whoever, you know, they seem to feel like it's it's okay to, to say whatever whatever they want. As we saw that with the Ian Wright case recently, a teenager uh, was brought before the courts around that. Uh, social media companies, um, there has to be some kind of regulation around accounts and passports and killing this hate speech. Yeah, I mean, social media companies have an obligation. Um, now that I think social media companies sometimes do argue uh, freedom of speech. And okay, yeah, we, everyone has freedom of speech, but um, you know, freedom of speech is not an absolute human right. It's a qualified human right. That means that if it breaches some other human rights, you don't, you don't get it. So um, you know, social media platforms need to be able to to know when people are you know making comments and and you know, you know really trying to uh, impact people because of something about them, and to do something about it. Now, in the case of Ireland, um, the government is currently going through a process of, of, of um, reviewing, it started in 2019, um, hate speech legislation, the um, prohibition of uh, incitement to hatred act. 
And I understand that um, that act will now, once it's enacted, um, the new legislation will put an onus on um, social media companies that they do need to act. So even if it's not something that they should do as a, a moral obligation, it's something they're going to need to do um, because it's part of the law. And I think um, those are some of the drivers that need to be in place to make sure that social media companies do act um, and, and don't um, uh, hide behind um, freedom of speech uh, when it's clear that there are um, hateful uh, racist comments that need to be dealt with. Jason, I'm almost feeling that the people on the street that would have given you racist abuse 25 years ago or on the pitch have almost migrated now to this platform as a small minority, but a, a toxic, toxic minority. Yeah, well, it's certainly given them a, a license. Um, I, I suppose it's a blessing that probably Twitter and, and whatever wasn't around when, when I played. Uh, I can only imagine what it'd be like after some of the games we, we played. But um, I had a situation a few years ago. It was before um, an All-Ireland final. Dublin were in and a comment came in. Just one of those, go, go, go back to your country. And... Um, it was a strange one because normally it would be something that I just I would ignore and, and forget about. But I actually highlighted it and I asked, I, I put it out there, retweeted, I wonder who this guy is. Um, and I ended up by, I, I, someone got in touch with me, we, we found him pretty easy. Um, and I actually ended up meeting him and his mother and just sat down just to explain what impact that his comment had on me in terms of me growing up and the feelings that I had. Um, and again, like he was very remorseful and he was very young and hopefully he learned his lesson. But the thing that, that came out of that situation for me or experience for me, and it's something that I, I, I would like any young boy or girl that is, suffers from racism in the future thinks about is that I will never be the victim of racism again because I'm not the one with the problem. And for a lot of my growing years, I, was, I didn't see that. I thought I had the problem. Um, and again, like I suppose the social media platforms now just they, they've magnified um, what what can happen and and how comments racist comments can be made so easily. So absolutely, there is there is a responsibility on these outlets to do it. But as well, I think it's the support structure around people that might be on the the other end. I think that's really important as well. We saw Cyrus Christie was on the show last year, uh, Darren, and he. He spoke about how some kid just uh, racially abused him with James McLean on recently for a different reason, and not, not about race, but about the sectarian abuse and just the hatred that is uh, out there towards James McLean from a, from a toxic minority. Um, calling this out, uh, have you seen people call it out? Have you seen supporters call it out? Do you think people are afraid to? We'd love to see a bit more of that, wouldn't we? It'd be great to see, to see more of it. Um... Before I get into obviously Cyrus and James, um, yeah. when I ask over here at football matches, or I have been asking, you know, if you see or hear um, anybody being racist or anything like that, you know, sat around you, make somebody aware. But it just takes people being brave. And I guess once people are in a big crowd and there may be a group of people shouting stuff, some people would be afraid to be that one person to, to call them out. And it's kind of like, I'll just turn a, a blind eye. There's 50,000 people in here, you know, the players can't hear it. 
um, or you may be sat in a certain section of the of the crowd where it's a weekly it's a weekly thing. Um, so yeah, it, it probably takes people kind of to be a little bit a little bit more uh, more brave to probably say something. But um, again, hopefully that will come. Uh, going back to Cyrus, uh, been in a lot of the, the Irish camps with Cyrus, uh, quite close, speak speak a lot, especially on the trips. Um, I've been sat beside him, um, you know, some of the times after we've played certain games and he's gone on Twitter or Instagram and the messages are flooding in. Um I think it was after the playoff game against Denmark, he got quite a lot of um, racist abuse. He ended up obviously having to uh, fly back to Dublin um, to meet up with the police, obviously to go through uh, everything and give a statement. And uh, again, I'm not sure of the the uh, the ins and outs, but in the end, it was kind of like. It's, it's, it's not much we can do. It almost felt like I remember, you know, Cyrus um, saying it to me because at the time we were both at Middlesbrough, and he said to me, it almost felt like it's too much work to do to try and, you know, track down somebody and go speak to them, and you know, kind of just, kind of just let it go. Um, but again, I see it all the time with, with James. Um, Again, I've, I've 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 reposted stuff that's been said about Cyrus. I've reposted stuff that's been said about James. James also, as you know, <laughs> outspoken, so he's not afraid to repost stuff. Uh, I've reposted stuff even recently about you know Shane stuff, uh, Shane Duffy and stuff yes. that um, stuff that's been said about him, um, and you know the unfortunate uh, passing of his dad. Um, and obviously that all comes under the sectarian kind of section. Um, so there is, I think now gradually more and more people that are kind of sticking together and uh, kind of reposting and, 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 and trying to keep uh, the, the, the topic of, of racism alive. Um, Again, going back to the like the George Floyd movement with Black Lives Matter and taking the knee, um, has taking the knee lost um, kind of the effect uh, as it did and, uh, at the very start. Now that's an individual kind of um, preference, as you like. Just because someone decides not to take the knee, does not necessarily mean that. They're against, you know, Black Lives Matter or Wilfred Zaha. Yeah. Well, exactly. So Wilfred may choose to, you know, voice his opinion um, and take his stand in a completely um, different way. And uh, Wilfred does again suffer from a lot of a lot of abuse. Um, and if you're someone who suffers from a lot of a lot of abuse and you don't see anything anything change it can be very very frustrating is there a protocol in the fai des to 
I look, I'm looking at uh, the, the under-21 squad was released yesterday and there's some black players in that. We had Tyreek Reich, like horrific abuse when he was in, in, in the UK not too long ago and Aston Villa were investigating that. Is there a protocol when you see this kind of thing happen to the likes of Cyrus and, and what uh, Darren has been explaining there? Yeah, there is a protocol. Um, it's actually been under review as of last year. Um, if you speak to Cyrus, um, coming out of what happened to him, Cyrus felt like he was uh, he wasn't treated as the victim. The person he was, you know, treated uh, as as someone that you know wasn't the victim. So I think um, that that's something that needs to change. But in terms of a protocol, there is a protocol which essentially is about uh, gathering the evidence, so, you know, to capture. Um, the comments uh, to to remove the account and and to report um, the abuse onto relevant authorities. At the moment, there's a slight gap in the reporting piece because the government is still to bring forward the new legislation. So at that point, um, you know, hate speech will be defined in law. So when you're reporting it uh, to the guards, they have something that they can focus on in terms of, of the law. So yeah, there, there is a protocol in place. Um, there's more work to be done to make sure it operates 110% properly and all of the discussions that we're having here today for me what's important is that people hold hold the association to account so when you hear voices like Darren you hear voices like Cyrus or other people James that's about holding holding the FEI to account as an association as well as the social media companies because um, only through doing that that, that will get real change um, I, I did want to just make one yes. comment and it's just in relation to just the impact. So um, James James McLean spoke about the impact on his family, uh, on on him, and and I think if anyone really tries to really understand this issue, they really need to understand it from its from its impact. Um, Cyrus did a thing for us um, a couple of weeks back uh, with with Co Ramblers, um, and he, he did a video. He couldn't join the piece himself, but um, he started off by saying the first time he experienced racism, and he was age seven. He was age seven. If you think about that. Uh, age seven and he still remembers it as, as an experience and, and there are other people that aren't professional footballers uh, or other in other other sports that would have experienced racism from a very young age and it can have an impact and one of the things that I think sometimes can can happen is that people can sometimes uh, master their feeling uh, they may not be so strong as say Darren or Cyrus or James then they're just going to mask the way that they're feeling um, so they might just go along with things that be, becomes normalized and what we want is for people, one, to understand that this is impactful, and two, for the people who are experiencing it, that so they can talk about it. I think that's important. Absolutely. And I think that Jason and, and Darren and yourself, Des, have been very articulate in, in, in giving an understanding to what you've been through um, on this conversation. Uh, Jason, I, I, it was heartwarming to kind of read the story about the Westmead footballer, uh, Boydo uh, Saya, who was well integrated into the community. Um, he's spoken about the positives of of being involved in, in the GAA. Um, I think another step f further would be, as you've uh, explained before in, in, in your discussions, would be to bring anti-racism into coaching. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, going back to my, my one of my first points about that identity of a club and what they stand for. And for me, sport is all about acceptance. It's about welcoming people into your club or your sport and allowing them have a, an experience and the club 
club reaps rewards from that. So um, that's what sport should be all about. Um, and no matter what level in terms of development. Um, and I think as well, with, with all the kind of issues globally at the moment um, that have happened, like the one thing that's really coming out as well is it, it's not good enough to say you're not a racist anymore. How can you be anti-racist? Um, and it goes back to Darren's point there about if you see something, you say it. Like it, it's not good enough just to stay silent because if you stay silent, you, you're fueling the situation. I'm not saying you have to you have to use physical abuse, but you can report someone. You can you can empathise with someone who is suffering or is the victim of racism. There's so much that you can do to assist a situation like that. And and really, we all have a, we all have a role in that. Um, and certainly, that starts with the club, be it soccer. Gaelic hurling basketball, it all starts with the club um, setting the right tone and, and giving the right messages to your, your players and the parents that are involved. And the media is a role to play as well, Des. When I think of uh, Raheem Sterling or Meghan Markle, I kind of see an undercurrent there. Is that something you would agree with that there is an undercurrent in the way they're treated? Yeah, um, you know, stereotypes, um, prejudice towards people, these all feed into how things impact on people. So if you, if you, if you're in the media and you're in some way supporting, whether tacitly or explicitly uh, supporting certain stereotypes about people, then yeah, it's going to have an impact. It's going to have an impact on the person, but it's going to have an impact on people that might look like that person uh, that are out in society. So yeah, definitely. I think one of the things that we do around education, we work with Show Race and Red Card uh, in schools. And one of the things that we talk to young people about is this, um, this pyramid of hate and, and this pyramid basically starts at the bottom where people might think well telling jokes or having a, uh, you know slagging people off is just a bit of fun but as you go up that pyramid it changes so that can turn to you know kind of physical abuse and it can turn to graffiti or it can turn to other things and you go up a little bit more and it can turn to, to violence and it can turn to impacts on people so yes yeah, stereotypes that are um, either supported through the media or started through certain media outlets um yeah they, they, they have an impact and, and the media needs to just like jason say everyone needs to, to call it out um it's, it's not just down to me you cyrus or, or jason everyone needs to do it i will come back to um just to finish your thoughts on on, on the debate we've been having uh in a, in a few moments time i just want to ask you about yourselves at the moment Darren, you must be a, a coaching a frustrated figure not being involved and in going to Serbia during the week. Yeah, I've I'm dealing with a, an injury probably since last last March. So it's probably got, coming up to about a year now. I've had uh, just been trying to manage it. Um, get to a certain point to kind of break down, have a few weeks off, and then I come back and I think, all right, I'll just I'll be fine and break down again. So. Finally got to the stage where uh, I needed just to like rest completely, um, uh, and unfortunately the the three games just they come too quick. I won't be, I'll probably just be back in training, uh, full full training. Um, you know the week of them uh, them games, and then having the three games in in nine days, it, it, I think that would be that'd be too much, um, and I I don't want to go back. You know, another two or three steps in in the rehab process. Um, I want to get over it and put it put it past me. So it's boring, but 
is part of part of the life. Um, you know, as as things stand now, there's there's not much not much to do. Um, so it's just training ground, physio rooms, gym. I'm lucky if I see a bit of grass for 20 minutes and then back home to, you know, ice, game ready, compex, do whatever the treatments I need to do and then just repeat the next day. Have you spoken to Quivin? Uh I spoke to Quivin last week to check up on him and his, uh, his injury. Um, he had a, a slight um, uh, oblique uh, injury. Um, and he said he'd be he'd be touch and go to make the squad. Well, obviously, I've seen he's he's in the squad and the the four four youngsters, young pups have been named. So uh, you know, I'm sure whoever he, he goes with will do a do a brilliant job. It's been a frustrating time for Stephen Kenny, hasn't it? Like Darren, it almost feels like we haven't got off the ground yet. Uh, we haven't had the start of this yet. With the Slovakia game was 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 disappointing, but there's been so many things through COVID, through injuries, through him not being able to get over to England. It's It's been a tough one for him. Yeah. Uh, to start off, it was, um, yeah, it was probably COVID. We ended up missing seven or eight players for, for you know, a, a bunch of the games. Some of them turned out to be false positives and I won't go into all of that but yeah so he hasn't he hasn't been helped by the fact he's missed players and we've had some we've had some decent performances Slovakia we played well just didn't didn't score um him Keith the the staff everyone's just desperate for for uh, a result and to kind of get off get the ball rolling just get get a bit of momentum get a bit of belief back as well because a lot of the boys that are just in the squad now are quite young. It's all quite new to them. Um, and it can be tough when you come into a team that's not that's not getting results. It can be hard sometimes for the youngsters to kind of just come on and express themselves. You know, when you're um, on the end of kind of negative results and on top of that, playing for your country, negative publicity. Um, and the youngsters are quite well protected in terms of media-wise. You know, the older ones try and take most of the uh, most of the media stuff but uh, we've got some very good young players so um, yeah hopefully we just get off to a off to a good start in these in these group games um, and then it's something to build on going forward You've had a great season at West Ham as a club it's David Moyes it's been been something else in the Premier League Yeah well going from being well, fourth from bottom uh, when he took over last year to what we now joint fifth sixth I mean, it's, 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 I don't think anybody's seen it, seen it coming. Um, well, I mean, we have been, we've been very good uh, all season long from when he first came in. You know, we were leaking a lot of goals, silly mistakes. So he's kind of had to start from the basics, really, uh, and just build a solid kind of foundation, stop the silly errors, stop making mistakes. Once that's corrected, then he can move on to something else. Um so yeah, he's definitely he's definitely trying to build something. Um, and this season so far has been been a very enjoyable one. Um, and obviously then there's talk of 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 European football gets everybody excited. Um, and that would be an exceptional season if it happens. But again, there's a lot of a lot of good teams and a lot of games left where anything can happen.
hopefully will happen for you, Darren, uh, next season. Jason, uh, I was a big man for the Hill when I was younger. And in 1995, that hot, long, hot summer when you were starring as a 19-year-old for the Dubs uh, at Croke Park. It's hard to believe, Jason. I'm, 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 I'm sitting here talking to Jason Sherlock and Dublin are going for seven in a row this year. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it certainly is. Um, whatever about 95, certainly in 2008, after Dublin hadn't been in an All Ireland final since then, who would have who would have believed it? Um, but obviously, that's full credit to what's gone on in Dublin football for whatever the last 15, 20 years. And there, there's just a, a really talented crop of guys at the moment that are. Uh, obviously, I, I was lucky enough to coach for a while, and they're an exceptional bunch. And again. And, and Darren knows that the biggest challenge for any sports person is to con continue to perform week on week or game from game, and they've just done that. So, um, admittedly, kind of last year with, with everything that was going on, it, it was hard to kind of get stuck into it. But certainly the, the GA, it was great to have something in those winter months. And obviously we hope we'll have uh, the, the GA Championship starting off soon enough and and who knows maybe this whole situation has helped the GA in terms of defining what the season should look like and there are benefits for it so um uh, like as a as an avid sports person it's been great to have sport to, to look forward to watching if it's the premiership if it was the GA obviously we're we're, we're out of Cheltenham week Shane Lowry's playing good playing well again in the golf so uh yeah it's great that that sport can give us that release and kind of let us forget about reality for, for, from time to time. Well, thank God we have radio in the afternoons uh, on, the, on, the, on the weekend, Jason, and we have the TV then in the evenings to watch all the sport, lads. Um, just to finish up, it's been a serious conversation. I really appreciate your time. We all do here on, on News Talk and Off the Ball uh, to, to give us uh, such candid um, expressions of your experiences. Des, just to finish, action. Action now is the key. Awareness, education, um, bringing this... Uh, really serious issue of, of racial abuse to, to the forefront of people's minds and the impact it can have not only on the individual, but on the family. What actions would you like to see going forward so we have a better society for the future generations? What I want to see is that um, throughout sport that we, um, everybody calls it out. So um, it's, it's called out and it's clear and people understand exactly what racism is and in terms of people's policies and procedures. So that goes from having a rule in your rule book, but also goes from what happens on the ground operationally with referees, that referees understand how they can deal with it. I think, as Jason said, there's education for coaches, um, there's edu education for other people involved in, in, in sport. Um, I know that at the moment, uh, Sport Island and the Department of Sport are really now starting to look at racism and discrimination, looking at policies and procedures and trying to work with national governing bodies around that, and that's, that's a welcome thing but really to make sure that we can um, evidence um, what we're doing. So not just to have these policies and procedures, but be able to evidence so that when the question I think that you asked to Darren was, you know, does he feel that, that, you know, there are young people still experiencing what he experienced? And I think his answer was yes. So um, we need to evidence the fact that we have these policies and procedures in place, but when that question gets asked again, then hopefully Darren's answer can be different. And my answer can be different. I can say, well, you know, we, we've had cases, but we've dealt with them, but they're not at a high level. So, yeah, those are the things that need to happen in terms of action. But certainly, as I said earlier on, I welcome the fact that you have high profile people prepared uh, to talk about the issue and keep it on, on the table. Um, so more work for, for sport to do in terms of 
national governing bodies more work for um, social media companies to do in terms of hate speech and, and just more work in terms of just general education around uh, what is a very serious uh, issue. And Darren, your final thoughts on this? Um, yeah, I think like Beth said, just, and, and even uh, as Jason said earlier, it's just it's education. Um, just trying to educate people, uh, keep it on the table for everybody to, to see and, and, and so it stays relevant. Um, again, as we, as we touched on earlier, for people to, to be brave and um, as Jason said, you don't have to get physical or verbal with somebody. If there's some, you want to report it to, to somebody, um, do so. Um, but again, by not kind of acting or doing anything, you know, you're kind of part of the problem um, instead of, because sometimes calling somebody out or somebody like Jason said, when he received that tweet about saying, go back to, to your own country. And he ended up meeting up with the, with a young, young kid who it was, he was very probably uh, remorseful and probably embarrassed. And a lot of the time people will get embarrassed when they're called out and confronted, you know, because when they will say a certain, uh, when they make a, a, a comment or a statement um, towards you, they think it's just, just you two. But then when it's brought in for more people to see and the lights then shone on them for being the person that said what they've said, a lot of people don't like it, you know? So again, yeah, I'll just say to, to be more um, vocal about it and yeah, try and try and educate, educate people more. And Jason, uh, what I've taken from this hour is we need to listen and we need to have our eyes open about this. Yeah. And we, we need to continue the conversation because like if we're not having the conversation, nobody is. And I think the one thing we all have in common is we love sport and we appreciate sport. It's a special thing and it's it's an opportunity we want to provide for any young boy and girl. So we want to respect that and give any young boy or girl the chance to, to exceed and play at the level that, that Darren has done. And uh, I think we all have a part to play in that. Well, we got to leave it there. Such an important conversation about racism in sport. Darren Randolph, Jason Sherlock, Des Tomlinson, you've been so generous to give us your time this afternoon and speak so uh, well about this uh, serious issue. Mind yourselves. The Saturday Panel on Off The Ball. That was an OTB Podcast Network presentation. 